Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We're going to chat with some gentlemen at the top of their category whom I call elite entrepreneurs. We're going to talk about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief to learn how automation can benefit businesses and employees. And while I'm at it, guys, we have a few commercials on this episode, so please don't mind. It is sponsors that help keep this show going. I think back on the day when I didn't have sponsors and I had to foot the bill on every show and everything. And some of you may not know, but we take all the proceeds from our show and we help feed the needy. You can go to TonyDURSO.com slash Southgate. And we've been feeding many, many families for about five years now, and it's been growing. And that's all on our own steam. We welcome help, but we really don't promote that yet. The main point is there are a number of sponsors here. Please consider supporting the sponsors. Then they'll come back. They'll continue supporting the show. We'll continue to grow and we'll continue to feed needy families. And enough said, and I appreciate you very much. We all want to find ways to help the less fortunate. It feels good. It's the right thing to do. And I know I'm helping as best as I can. But you know, guys, there's so much more to it than just volunteering and donating. And the information that we're going to talk about, it can really help grow your business, whether you're a startup or you want to grow to the next level. This is really interesting at all levels that you are, whether you're at six figures, seven figures, eight figures, or just trying to get past five. And you know, we're all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. So I'm going to ask you again later, please share this with your friends. This is really important. And I want you to meet Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. Kirk is a professor and previously was the founder of a nonprofit in Fiji that helps small Fijian coastal communities. And John, he's a founder and former CEO of the California Republic Bank. He's active as an early stage investor. So that's at the very beginning. And I'll let, you, I'll let them tell you more about it. Let's bring them on. Hi, John and Kirk. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Tony. My pleasure. And you know, we're all looking forward to learning more about reimagining global philanthropy. What is it? How do we do anything with it? And how does that help us in our career, our business, and so forth? So to give a proper credence, let's say, let's start from the top. Kirk, we'll start with you. What's your backstory? How did it all begin? Well, many, many years ago, when I was 23 years old, I met John Wilcox. We worked in Washington, D.C. John was at the Securities and Exchange Commission with a tie doing serious work. I was at the Council on Hemispheric Affairs um, doing quite progressive work in T-shirts and shorts. And we were very different in some of our philosophy, but we became very good friends that's lasted till this day. Later in life, I became a college professor, and I've been at the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, Georgia now for 23 years. And I started a nonprofit in Fiji as part of a large uh, National Institute of Health project, um, multi-million dollar with lots of support, um, lots of really smart people. And John was a member of my board, and we did some really spectacular projects that all turned out to be failures. And I was trying to figure out why, if we have all of this brain power and goodwill and support and money and budget and partners, why are all these projects failing? And John came along with the answer that was uh, an epiphany for me to think about how we could do global philanthropy better. And that's our ba- my backstory. That's very interesting. And John, how about you? How did it all start? Same uh, beginning as Kirk explained. I was wearing a suit and tie every day, uh, working at the Securities and Exchange Commission in Washington, D.C. And I was, I guess, envious of Kirk wearing his T-shirts and shorts every day at work. And, and as he mentioned, that we, we had fun in common. Even though I came more from a conservative banker perspective and Kirk was much more progressive, we you know, had fun in common and we liked to, we liked to enjoy the same fun times and hobbies. And 
over 40 year relationship that Kirk and I have had, we've had a lot of conversations about life and politics and in a safe place. And I think one, one of the things that's most interesting about the book that we wrote is the power of different opinions and, and finding the middle ground. And, and I think that that's the beauty of Kirk's and my relationship is our friendship is the strongest. And we've had been able to have many fiery conversations over the years about our different perspectives. And over time, we've both gravitated towards the middle and being a little more empathetic on each another's views. And I think that's something that really lacks in today's politics and environment. And as Kirk mentioned, I was a longtime banker. I started my career at Securities and Exchange Commission. I went to American Express. I was at Bank of America for 10 years in commercial banking. And then I started my own bank called California Republic Bank. And we grew that from a startup, which I founded at 52 million in capital. And we ended up selling the Mechanics Bank uh, with almost 4 billion in assets. And I still sit on the board of Mechanics and we're about a $19 billion bank headquartered out of San Francisco. And what I've noticed as a banker is the question is, why do businesses fail? And there's a million reasons why businesses fail. I mean, it could just be flat out bad luck, or you got the wrong people, or you got a new competitor that comes in. A zillion kinds of reasons. And that's the reason, and that's exactly the reason why, as a community banker, which is much different than money than the money center banks, the B of A's and the Wells Fargo's, we get to know the borrower. But we would never bank a startup because startups fail. 75% of businesses, for whatever reason, fail. Even if in Silicon Valley, well-capitalized companies, super bright, the brightest people, the brightest ideas still kind of fail. So there's a reason bankers don't lend a startup. We wait three to five years to look at the historical trend. And, and once you take the startup risk, out of of that then your your chances of success go up way greater and so when we really started looking at charities it 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 was a surprise to us but in hindsight it probably shouldn't have been that a great majority of charities fail you want to start a tilapia farm in fiji but you've never been to fiji and you don't know anything about tilapia and you have great intentions you want to do great work but that doesn't solve the failure issue. And so if we we found that if there's tens of thousands of local superheroes in, in the global South that have already been doing great work in their existing communities, and if you just find those already successful nonprofits or NGOs, as they call them in lot, lots of places in the world, then your impact on your dollar that you give goes up six, seven, eightfold. John, you're you're a banker. You've got strong roots in this, and you went into global philanthropy. You went into reimagining it. What's that vision like? Why did you go there? What were you seeking to to accomplish? Well, Kirk and I have been very blessed in our lives, and I think we were sitting on a beach having a a beer together and talking and talking about how grateful we were for the place that we we were in, and we wanted to give back. And we started thinking about, okay, if we give a dollar away or a hundred dollars away, we wanted to have the greatest impact, you know, because it's our money. And so we really started discussing how do we make the greatest impact? How do we give back and give thanks for all our blessings and the good things that have happened to us, which we were compelled to do. And so we really started trying to think about how do we give the money away? And Kirk mentioned to me about this person in, um, in a really crazy favela in Rio de Janeiro, a, a local superhero who was super innovative. He, he got, John, you got to meet this guy. So we flew down to Rio and got a big hug from the guy, realized the guy exudes character out of every pore. And we were sold. And, and that was really the first step in our journey to really realizing how many great local superheroes that exist in the world. And, and it's okay to be a sidekick. Not everybody needs to be the superhero. There's a major role for people to be a good sidekick in helping 
those uh, superheroes in the local community. Kirk, what would you like to add to that on why you went into global philanthropy? Well, I met this guy, Sebastian, and his story is really useful for understanding how this dynamic works. So Sebastian is a Afro-Brazilian born into poverty. He spent age 7 to 17 in a very violent juvenile detention center. He came out at age 17 and he wanted to help other kids. And he, through a series of, of missteps, stumbled across using badminton to train kids because it's addictive, it's fun, the equipment is cheap, there's lots of tournaments. And so he started to build a badminton center by hand. It took him 17 years in this favela. And he built this four-court badminton center, and he's training the kids, and the kids do not win their tournaments. And imagine, here's a guy who's never played badminton himself, and he's wanting his kids to win against the professionally trained elite badminton schools throughout Brazil. We're talking about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox, and you can find them at riseup.care. That's R-I-S-E-U-P dot C-A-R-E. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Hey guys, we're all employing workers from all over the world these days. I know I am, so I'm sure that you are too. And even if you don't yet, it's the norm. It's the routine. It's just how things are. We have employees from all over the world helping us do so many things. And the point here is, if you want to have the best people, you got to stay flexible. And that's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. That's R-E-M-O-T-E. They take care of everything for you, like international payroll, benefits, taxes, local compliance, so you can focus less on the paperwork and more on growing your business. So you're on your business, working on your business instead of in your business. So use remote. They help you onboard full-time employees or contractors all over the world in just minutes. Their platform is really easy to use, and they provide the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. And are you ready? They own the full local legal entities in all of their covered countries. So that guarantees you never have to use a third party ever. And you get access to everything remote offers from payroll to compliance, to benefits management, everything for one low flat rate. And there's no hidden fees, no surprises, just the best global employment solution in the business. And for podcast listeners like you, you get an even bigger discount. You get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during the first year. Just visit remote.com slash Tony and use promo code T-O-N-Y. And you'll see why top global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. So whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com slash Tony and use promo code Tony to get started. That's R-E-M-O-T-E dot com slash T-O-N-Y, promo code T-O-N-Y. All right, visit them today and get started. Hey guys, if you've been following me on social media, you know I have a pure white Akita. His name is Ronan. And I card him, I take him around. I've put out so many photos of him and different things that we do and just going on walks, having fun, living the life, eating a snack out of the back of our Jeep and so forth. And the point of this is they're part of the family. You have a pet, you know what I'm talking about. We just love our pets. They're silent, they don't say much. Though Ronan speaks, and that's a different story. They're usually very silent. Let's put it that way. And what's the purpose of this? The purpose of this is we want to take care of them. And I want to tell you about a telehealth service that I've used myself called Fuzzy, F-U-Z-Z-Y. They offer 24-7 access to personalized pet care from veterinary professionals. It's excellent. And they'll answer everyday questions to middle-of-the-night emergencies. 
They have the answers that pet parents like you need. And they have this live chat and virtual vet consultation that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is absolutely amazing. And again, I will repeat, they will answer all your pet questions, big, small, urgent, and every day. Like your dog just ate a sock, what do you do? Or there's a skin rash or a skin issue and all these things. If you're a pet parent, you know what I'm talking about. I am a member and I just love them. And also, Fuzzy can recommend the exact right product for your pet. And they're all handpicked by their team of veterinary professionals. And they're available at discounts exclusive to Fuzzy members. This is amazing. So from getting your pet's diet just right to meeting their middle-of-the-night needs, there's nothing too big or too small for a quick Fuzzy call. Remember I said that. Right now, Fuzzy is offering our listeners a free seven-day trial membership. Go to yourfuzzy.com slash D-U-R-S-O today to sign up. That's a free seven-day trial and access to exclusive member discounts on pet meds, supplements, food, and more at Y-O-U-R-F-U-Z-Z-Y.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Again, yourfuzzy.com slash D-U-R-S-O for your free trial of Fuzzy with access to 24-7 personalized pet care and vet-recommended products. Do this today for all of your loved ones and your loved pets and give them the care they need at yourfuzzy.com slash DRSO. You're listening to The Tony DRSO Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. And we'll keep this short, so now back to the chat with Kirk and John. So he thinks about how to do it, and he brings in some outsiders, and they start using the standard methods of push-ups and jump rope, and he knew this would turn the kids off, So Sebastian came up with a five-step program of using samba dancing to train the kids in badminton. And within a few months, they started winning all the tournaments. Two of the kids were in the 2016 Olympics. Two were in the 2020 Olympics. They travel all over the world. It's a really remarkable story. And we actually uh, made an award-winning documentary film on Sebastian is called Bad and the Birdie Man. The film and the trailer and our other films are free to access at www.reimagine.care. And if you watch this two-minute trailer about Sebastian, you will understand how it all works. You know, why should John and I move to Brazil and set up a badminton academy when there's someone already in a community who looks like the kids in that community can serve as a local role model. Why should we go and steal their thunder and we should be the superheroes when we, it's way better if we're the anonymous sidekicks and we just give money to Sebastian for him to expand what he's already doing. And then we started finding dozens and dozens and dozens of other examples of people just as extraordinary as Sebastian doing work where you just give them a little bit of money because all of their fixed costs and their startup costs are already covered. You're just giving them variable costs to expand what they're doing. That is quite phenomenal. And I'm going to, after this interview, I'm going to go to it's reimagine.care, right? Correct. I want to see that samba dancing. (laughs) It'll blow you away. (laughs) And Kirk, while we're on it, so I get that you've got this vision and how you did that. Why? You could do anything in the world, Kirk. Why is this important? What's the purpose behind this? Well, as John said, we have been really fortunate in our lives. And I've done a lot of work in Latin America. And I've seen that in many cases, when development scholars or academics or practitioners go to Latin America, we have this perception that all of the great leadership and the great ideas come from people who look like you and me in the global north, and the people in the global south are the people that need us to rescue them and save them. It's a really just an updated version of the white man's burden. 
And so I was really interested in coming up with something a little bit more subversive where the ideas and the leadership and the innovation are identified in often very marginalized communities in the global South with leaders that never went to college. And we inverting that where we take the role as the sidekick and not the superhero. And John and I talked about it. He was really excited about the idea of coming up with something where we could be as anonymous as possible and just try to help these superheroes. Because these kids in these neighborhoods, they don't need role models that look like us. They need role models that look like them. And John, anything you would like to add on the purpose and why you're doing this? Yeah, I mean, it gets back to Kirk and I first wanting to give back ourselves. And I guess as a banker person in me, I just didn't want to waste my money. I didn't want the dollar I gave to somebody have have 90 cents of that dollar go to overhead or pay for private airplane or something. I wanted to make sure that at least 90% of my money ended up with the intended uh, recipient or the, 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 the help that I really wanted to give. And, the, and Kirk and I really started going down that road like to really analyze all these philanthropies at, who are trying to do good work, but they fail. And we were shocked and surprised about when you, you know, how much money is wasted out there. I mean, we identified a church in Mexico that gets painted four times a year by four different church groups. Imagine the cost and the expense just for the travel and food. And meanwhile, there's two unemployed painters in town. So I, I just think that's a real waste of money. I know it's difficult. There's more and more opportunities to make sure that your dollar has the biggest impact. And then I we, Kirk and I decided we, we, we became really passionate about that. We, we think the fact is Americans are the most generous people on the planet. And if we can just be a little smarter with our dollar, we can have a significantly, with the same amount of dollars that are given, a six times or more uh, impact in the communities. And, and we, Kirk and I talk a lot about the global South, but really this idea of helping your local superheroes, be it the woman who's always there or man with somebody who's somebody's sick or caring for the elderly. There's always someone in your community that I can guarantee you they'll take that dollar and they'll stretch it out as far as they can. And those are the people that I want to empower and we want to give leverage to do more of the same. John, most charities keep most of the money. They're paying for their golf membership, helicopters, mansions, and other things that I think is just not right. So it's very inefficient. I don't think there's much oversight on it. And I'd like to get your take. Why does that happen? I think there's a lot of social pressure to be good and be leaders and be to try to make a difference for the better in your community. And I think that people use, let's be honest, the great thing about a nonprofit is you don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> so that's a big multiplier, especially when you're in the state of California. And so I think you have people who use the tax loopholes to, to create these in some way. I mean, in, in the extreme cases, a facade of all the of, of, of the do gooding that they say they're doing. And the reality is they're just, uh, it's, it's a lifestyle for them. And it's a big difference between that person and Sebastian, who we talked about earlier, who lives above the badminton court and doesn't take a, maybe a, a, just enough to eat. That's the kind of, those are the superheroes that we like to support. I like that. Kirk, would you like to add anything more on that, on why global philanthropy can be so inefficient? We have all sorts of incentives that lead us to do these things. One is social media. A lot of people think that being a philanthropist on social media helps them look better to their friends. And there's even a site in Portugal called Humanitarians of Tinder that has all sorts of photos of people who use a photo of them with some emaciated, dark-skinned child in country in Africa or India 
as their dating profile pics because we think that it makes us look cool. If you're at a university, students think that they need to be involved in philanthropy to get into the best university or then to get the best job. And so we have all of these incentives for us to not only participate, but to take full credit and announce to the world that we are doing such good work. And so that's why the incentives are all backwards and why we have so much of this that's done inefficiently. Now, one that we'll just talk about, and it, it's tender and it's difficult to talk about, is the global volunteerism sector that's a $173 billion sector. Um, John talked about all of these projects that are done that are not a complete, but a largely a waste of money. But there's all sorts of information about groups that go to Africa and they lay bricks on a building. And at night, the people who live there take all the bricks down and relay them because the kids are not prepared to actually lay bricks. Or we have this quite difficult situation, which is the orphan tourism industry, which is a very large industry. And we have a oversupply of orphanage tourisms and undersupply of orphans. And so there's a huge industry of renting babies and human trafficking to produce enough orphans for all of these orphan tourists who pay all of this money to these networks to have the orphans there when they get there. And maybe you travel to India and you spend a week doing tourism and two days working in an orphanage, and that's all tax deductible. So the taxpayers are often subsidizing the work of people to go to orphanages that are stealing babies to have enough orphans there. So this shows the extreme of how ridiculous it has all gotten. Agreed. And Kirk, John mentioned a little bit about this. We'll start with you on affluent people, as I think especially Americans, we feel it's our responsibility. It just goes beyond what I've seen in other places of the world. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Hey guys, as entrepreneurs, we all have products or services that we provide through our businesses, right? This is how we live. This is how we grow. This is how we put food on the table and do all the things that we love to do for ourselves and our families and our friends and loved ones, right? And sometimes, you know this because you're an entrepreneur, you're a small business owner. We take a pot shot when we launch our business, when we launch our products, when we launch our services. We think the whole world will just like swoon and just jump at it, but we're really unsure of how it will do in the market. And actually, we don't even know what the competition is fully yet. Come on, tell the truth. You really don't know. You know some. You don't know everyone that's doing their own new competitive product and shooting that out soon. So I ask you this question, wouldn't it be nice to gather some intel on how well our products will do before we make the investments, put all that money, all that time, all that labor, and go through multiple trial and error? How would you like to learn and have access like the Fortune 500 companies do? I know I would. So let me tell you the secret. It's called Feedback Loop. They help you get quality feedback from your target consumers, exactly the people that would buy your product or service. And how about an audience of 100 people in your specific target market that give you feedback on everything, on your concept, your messages, your product ideas, and more? This is like being a kid in a candy store. And are you ready for this? You can create your test and get back quality insights from your target consumers in hours. Yeah, hours, not days. And to put the cherry on top of the whipped cream on top of that pie, how would you like three full tests for free? Yeah, free. Just go to go.feedbackloop.com slash Tony. That's it. It's trusted by innovators as their preferred resource for user discovery, concept testing, comparison testing, and more. So if you want your next product or feature to be a hit, test before you invest, build based on data, not opinion, and launch with confidence with Feedback Loop. That's G-O dot F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K 
L-O-O-P dot com slash T-O-N-Y. To give you that edge and assurance of success, I urge you to use Feedback Loop for your next project. Cha-ching! That's the sound that we all love. It means a sale. It means money. And for all you entrepreneurs and business owners out there, it's probably your most favorite word that you say all the time. Cha-ching! And it's also the sound of another sale on Shopify. They are the all-in-one commerce platform to help you start, run, and grow your business. S-H-O-P-I-F-Y. What's cool about Shopify is that it gives you, the entrepreneur, the business owner, it gives you the resources that were once reserved for the big businesses. So this means just about everybody, startups, upstarts, and businesses like yours, you can sell anywhere. You know, with Shopify, you can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. And that's quite a feat because businesses, well, it's a journey of endless possibilities. What you should do is search for your category on Shopify, what your products and services are, and you're going to be amazed at all the suggestions that are there. Perhaps that will stimulate you to improve your product, come out with another iteration, or create another great selling product. And then, cha-ching, here comes the money. And this is serious stuff, folks. Did you know that Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale? Another cool thing is you gain insights as you grow. You get detailed reporting on conversion rates, profit margins, and all sorts of great stuff to see how your products and services sell. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. So go to shopify.com slash Tony, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Tony. Right now, shopify.com slash Tony. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. And cha-ching your way to the top with Shopify. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. And we'll keep this short, so now back to the chat with Kirk and John. Do affluent people have this kind of responsibility? If you've got a lot of money, you know, as an aside, I say constantly, I'm not interested in being a billionaire because... There's no way I can eat or utilize that much food or or resources. It's just not possible. I'd rather just help, you know. It's my Italian mindset, I think. But affluent people, do they have this responsibility to help others? We all have the responsibility, whether we're affluent or not, because we have time and resources that can be used right in our own neighborhoods. There's always a chance to help. And if you do help, even if you volunteer in your neighborhood, It helps to erase our cynicism and helps us have a much higher sense of optimism about the world. Now, sadly, there's a couple of the research has a couple of disappointing pieces. One is as income inequality grows in a country, the amount of donations to charity and philanthropy goes down. So as the rich get richer, There's almost a dynamic where they have to justify their wealth by thinking that the people who are not as well off deserve it, and they start giving less money. So in a country like Brazil that has a lot of very wealthy people and a lot of very poor people, it's one of the lowest in in donations. The United States traditionally has had a very high level, and we are uh, overall the most generous country, but while you might not expect it or believe it, it's actually that the elite, the top two or three percent of Americans, pay a lower rate of uh, charity and philanthropic work than do the middle class in the United States. John, anything else to add on to that? I could just only speak to my own personal experience. I, as a banker, I've made billions of dollars in in community loans, be it for businesses to grow and be successful and. I've met and know many, many billionaires. I know a lot of rich people. 
And the truth is, from my perspective, the ones that get involved in their community that really give back and share and really do try to make a difference for the better, and there's a lot of them, those people in general are more balanced, happier, and productive, I would say. And I know a lot of people that don't, who are really rich and they don't give a penny away. So I'm not there to judge them. I'm just saying that some people just love, you know, I know somebody right now, he's one of the wealthiest persons in, in the world. And I could call him on a Sunday in the office and he'll, he'll answer the phone. He just loves the work. So, you, you, you know, you can't, but I, just from my perspective, the people that give back and make a difference seem to have a little more balance and perspective in their life. I understand that completely. John, in looking through your book, there's something you call inverting the model to help philanthropic success. We may have touched upon that, but I wanted to make sure that we gave uh, some attention and addressed that. So tell us about inverting the model. Well, well, it's what we talked about before. Look, startups fail all the time. So Kirk and I could have gone to Brazil and we looked at different things. Let's, Let's do a startup. Let's go and do a badminton camp in Brazil or, or, or a surf camp in Colombia or a circus in Peru. I mean, those are all things that let's take that startup risk and then put our names in the paper and, and, be, and try, to be local, try to be local superheroes. And we know from our experience that that just model fails. So what it really means to invert the, the whole idea is to, for somebody like Kirk and I who have resources and have money to give, to be more of the sidekick, to not try to do the startup, to not be the, the superhero. It's okay. The world needs more sidekicks on, uh, in the world. And, and a sidekick, as a banker, I was always the sad, a sidekick. I would never, if I went to a super successful business and they wanted to borrow five or $10 million to buy a piece of equipment or grow their receivables or, and, and just do more of the same, I would never step in and tell them how to run their business. I would just say, great, do, do more of the same. Here's some more money to do, do more. And that's really inverting the model. Got that thoroughly. And Kirk, anything else to add on inverting the model that we haven't already talked about? Yeah, it's, it's as a well-educated white male, sometimes we just have it in our nature to try and take charge. And sometimes we're, we're loud, we're brash, we're audacious, we're incredibly confident. And it's really easy for us, especially in when we travel throughout the world, to try and identify what people are doing wrong, how we would do it different, uh, et cetera. But if you just sit back and actually observe what they're doing, they're really doing incredible things. And it's not only, only Sebastian. All of the groups that we ended up working with, we were able to identify innovation and creativity that they were able to use for success that as as an outsider, not knowing the customs and having the kinship um, networks, et cetera, we would never be able to do. So they're, they're working in innovation in an entirely different ballpark. And if we give them a chance, poor people from the global South, often people of color can do really incredible things. Kirk, we have a large audience here, entrepreneurs, startups, small small and medium-sized businesses. And so on their behalf, we're thinking, well, how does this help me? How can this help me in my business and take it to the next level? So how can we use any of this to help ourselves? First of all, because it'll make you a, a happier person. And it'll make you have more, let you have more confidence in others. And I remember having a, a conversation with John after we really started working in um, Brazil. And he told me that he had never been so successful as when he started really participating in this philanthropy because you see a different side of, of humanity and we, you become more more optimistic. And as I said earlier, it really helps you to wipe away all of the cynicism that you have. Um, And as that, that will make you a lot more successful, no matter what your endeavor. More importantly, it'll make you happier. And really, isn't that what we're all after? I think so. I think that's what helps us do better and better in our business. John, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah. I mean, 
I'm on the board of a bank right now with 2,000 employees. I originally started my bank with nine. I had a bunch of customers. One of the things that we talk a lot about is character in the book and finding people of high character because it's in banking, we used to always say, and we would shake hands on a deal and say, look me in the eye and pay me back. Are you going to pay me back or not? So, believe it or not, there's a couple people that couldn't look me in the eye and I didn't and I didn't lend the money. So character is really important and not only to have high character in yourself, but as a business dealing with bankers, it's always important. That's the first thing bankers are looking for is high character. And what, what is, when, I, when I and when I say that, I mean, people that keep their word and do what they say they're going to do. And that trickles all the way down to your employees, because there's nothing worse than hiring a bad employee with bad character and exiting that bad employee with bad character is a big hassle and problem. So to me, the secret is finding great employees or partners with high character and make sure that you're dealing, be it on the vendor side or the customer side, deal with people with good character. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Hey guys, you know those highly tempting and alluring free trial subscriptions? that are just so hard to pass up. They're like the steal of the century, the deal of the universe. They ensnare you with deals that you just can't pass up. We all fall for them. And then every month, they automatically charge your accounts a little here, a little there. And when you add it all up, it's a lot of money. And you know, most of them are subscriptions that you forgot about and you don't even use any longer, yet you're still paying for them every month. The same thing has happened to me. I know it seems like a business scam out to get you, doesn't it? Well, let's not let the greedy corporations ensnare you and pocket your money. Let's get out of it. And the solution that's going to help you with this that I absolutely love is called True Bill. They're going to help you take control of your subscriptions. T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L. It's the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or you simply forgot about. And that means you don't need them, right? On average, people that use Truebill save up to $720 a year. Now, while these subscription companies make it so hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple to let go of them. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just a click. And your Truebill concierge is there anytime you need them so that they'll do the dirty work for you. You know, I had forgotten about all those pesky subscriptions that were draining my account every month. Until I saw an email somewhere, and it was by accident, saying, oh, we've now charged your account. I'm like, what's this? What was it for? I didn't remember a thing. Boy, was I surprised. And you know, it's just so hard to micromanage your finance at times and see who's charging you. But not anymore with Truebill, and they can save you tons. They have over 2 million users and have helped them save over $100 million. Like Matthew B., who says, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 for the year on my Sirius XM bill, saved $840 a year on car insurance. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Tony. Go right now, Truebill.com slash Tony. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Tony. T-R-U-E. B-I-L-L dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Guys, get your Truebill app today. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. And we'll keep this short, so now back to the chat with Kirk and John. John, a couple times in this interview, you or Kirk mentioned, I believe, Global South. And I also understand from your book, there's a Global North. Do we need to know that? And how, how and why is that important? 
Well, we just we we cut when we think of the global south, we think of everybody everything kind of you know be it South America or Africa or below the equator. I guess would be a a, a de- the definition between the global south as opposed to the global north. And the reality is, if you look at the economic uh, situation of the global south, it's just it's just way poorer than the global north. And I'm I'm wondering, gentlemen, this is really interesting because here you are both very successful in your own category, your own business, your own right. You've gotten into phil- philanthropy. We're businessmen here. We want to learn from you. And I'm and I'm just thinking, are there any big failures that you've had in this field that perhaps we could learn from and make sure we don't do or so forth? It's kind of just an open mic, wide open floor, John. Any of your biggest failures that you'd like to talk about and perhaps lessons learned from them? Uh, I need another hour of your time to talk about all my failures. We'll do a part two. (laughs) Do a part two, yeah. (laughs) I mean, actually, I just, there's a local high school that this morning I went and I interviewed some of the high school grads about what their future is going to be and what they want to do. And, um, I love that participation and being involved in in the local community. And I told them I've I've had way more failures in business than I've had successes. But the good news is the successes way outweighed all the combined failures. And I'm a certified entrepreneur and deal junkie, and I, so I like to do deals. And as a banker who's done you know billions of dollars in in transactions to different businesses, I recognize that that some businesses fail and some don't. And back to the character, the high character people as a banker pay you back, or at least try to pay you back. And I think that's super important. Kirk, how about you? Biggest failure and lessons learned from it? Well, I'm an academic because I was a multi-failed business person and I discovered that it wasn't really my temperament. I didn't get my undergraduate degree until I was 32. And so age 22 to 32 was littered with a number of failures. Um, And so it really was recognizing what am am I best suited to succeed at? And it took me to age 32 to discover that it was to become an academic. And I went and got my PhD and I had a really successful and quite enjoyable career. And I learned that life is not a race, it's a journey. And, you know, I, I rarely meet anyone who is in my field who got their undergraduate degree at age 32. But for me, it turned out to be a real asset because those experiences in the real world um, let me understand a lot about academia that otherwise I never would have had. Amazing. And I thank you, gentlemen, so much. And once again, we talked about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. And you can find them at riseup.care. Gentlemen, Lots of great information here to help us with our business. And I really am behind the philanthropy movement. I've been doing it for years all on my own. It just feels good. We do what we can. And for me, I sleep better and I know, hey, I'm helping where I can, not necessarily helping every single person. But just imagine if more and more of us helped and how that would just help the whole world. And what's interesting, and you don't even think of it, we didn't mention it in this interview, but in the action and activity of helping, more business comes back to me, more, more revenue, more, more opportunity that I didn't expect. And it's just from, I guess it's from sending out and pushing out, it just comes back. So it's just really good. I just want to mention that that really helps. I just want to thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was a very good interview. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Pleasure. And here's an insider's brief to learn how automation can benefit businesses and employees. We're going to discuss the book, The Automation Advantage, available now, which is going to help serve as a strategic and practical guide for technology and business leaders like you. And it explains how companies can drive intelligent automation at scale while weaving AI into the fabric of the organization. With us is Rajendra Prasad. He's the Senior Managing Director and Global Lead for Automation at Accenture. Hi, RP, and welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hi, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the call today. The pleasure is mine. RP, we're all interested to learn how automation can benefit businesses and employees. It's the buzz. We've been hearing it for years. It's, we see it in movies. It's in, the, it's in the papers. It's in our books. 
everywhere is AI and robots and all this. But there's a facet here where intelligent automation can help us a lot. And that's actually where I'd like to start. Could you define for us and explain, please, what is intelligent automation? Very good question. Uh, intelligent automation starts, you know, from the from infusing what I call as data, data-driven decision making, and then applying AI on the top of automation. Let me deep dive a little bit more into it. Traditionally, organizations look at opportunities for automation in multiple areas. Like, for example, a simple banking transaction when you're working with bank, you know, collecting the data, sorting the data and getting the invoices shipped in the right time, getting the money back in the right time. There are many opportunities in that scenario to create automation and do actions at a much more rapid pace. So you build a simple scripts and tools, utilities to automate part of the work, then that's, the, that's what we call as a robotic process automation, which is the basic automation. From therein, you start looking at intelligent data and the decision-making information. And based on that, you create what we call as a machine learning models that can help perform the tasks automatically. Then you transform from, you know, the robotic process automation to intelligent automation. In the scenario I said in the banking, the intelligent automation comes to effect based on the customer profile, based on the transaction volume. If you can recommend type of investments a customer can do, that becomes an intelligent automation. RP, I want to understand this a little bit more in terms of the benefit to companies. You've mentioned a few things in the banking industry. You've You've talked about data. I want to get a little more, let's say, personal with the audience and, and get them to better understand how companies can benefit, as well as how it can also benefit the employees. Yeah. The, the, one of the biggest benefits for the companies is to be able to free up capacity that, that gets involved in repetitive tasks so that they can use, leverage the experience, the knowledge of the employees in the much more value-added tasks. That's the transformation. That's the value. Like, you know, you free up the capacity so that you can invest that in a more value-based, you know, activities for the employees. In addition to that, speed to market is one of the critical benefits of driving automation in the marketplace. For example, in a traditional, you know, I'll take another industry example, traditional claims processing time. You know, if you go through from the time you place the climb to the time the climb is processed and the, you know, the benefit is received by the, uh, by the customer, there is a long process in it. However, if you can automate some of the steps in the climb processing, you can receive, complete the entire cycle time in a shorter period of time because there's no intervention required from the climb adjudicators and the processing aspect. So, for example, in the climb processing uh, action that I mentioned that we can reduce the overall time and the duration to reduce uh, the transaction action that needs to be done for the customer to get the climb process from the time the climb is placed to the time that they receive the payment. So there are many benefits in different industries that can help feed to market to get the benefits of automation. So there are two critical benefits that I talked about. One is capacity, freeing up that, and then second one is speed to market. RP, as I think about this for my business, for all the businesses I've spoken to over the years, it seems an enormous task. It seems like it's just almost too much. But there, but for anything, there's always some a simple start there's a something that can be done more simple you know on a gradient so how do people start when they want to embark on this process that's a brilliant question i always say that any organization or any process change when you do there is a quote that i get from one of my famous guru in processes what's hampry he says 
if you don't know where you are on a map a map won't help you so it applies similarly to automation journey organizations enterprises have to do what i call as a baselining of their current automation maturity where they are in the journey of automation then you do a clear assessment and measure the current position of the automation by looking at the chain management principles philosophy of automation adoption business alignment then you establish a road map to get to where you want to get so knowing where you are is a critical aspect or step 1 of automation rp we started this interview talking and introducing your book automation advantage i'd like to learn a little bit more about it and perhaps tell us where do we get it yeah it is available in most of the retail outlets like bonds and noble as well as in amazon they can uh, and also they can go to www.accenture.com/automationadvantage they can get the extracts of the book and also how to find the book in the in the retail outlets i'm going to spell that because it's a big word for me it's first of all it's accenture.com right so let's yep. spell that for the audience a c c e n t u r e.com then a slash automation advantage did i get yep. that right absolutely and for for the beginner for for the small office would this apply if i'm a, a solopreneur i've got a couple employees a couple people or small business would i be able to to do something with this absolutely the, the book is written in such a way that it can be applied to small enterprises medium sized enterprises and also the large enterprises and also the, the there are many techniques checklists and tools that we elaborate in the book that can be directly implemented and used in based on the scenarios that enterprises are working on automation it's a practical guide i like that a lot and i'm just starting to think more and more with this i'm thinking because we we talked about it it's it's such a huge field can you give a step or two of aside from getting your book and reading it a step or two of what where would we start on the process perhaps even where do we find ourselves on the map it it all depends upon the current organization's automation i call it as automation maturity you know it's a five levels and you know every organization does some bit of automation the only trick is whether the automation that they do in different places is it structured is it coherent is it not just silos but also across the enterprise it is not a initiative of the month but it is a change program that drives the business benefits in the organization so looking at all of these dimensions is when you'll say an organization falls on level 2 or a level 3 but most of the organization does something on the automation space so it is important to find out whether there is Uh, that programmatic change management view of implementing automation rp i want to thank you so much for talking to us and explaining automation advantage telling us about the book and the technology we have the the web url now i i think that's that's the key now is for people to go check it out learn more and see how that can help them in their business i want to thank, thank you, you so much for for speaking to our audience about this thank you very much Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured several elite entrepreneurs who took their vision to reality. We talked about reimagining global philanthropy with Kirk Bowman and John Wilcox. We talked about how to help the less fortunate, what that means to us, and how that helps our own business. We discussed many things such as why global philanthropy can be efficient, why affluent people have the responsibility to help others on a global scale. Do we need superhero level philanthropists to exist at the top? We talked about inverting the model to drive philanthropic success. We talked about the better way and how this can help our fellow entrepreneurs and business people and a whole lot more. Tell me what resonated the most with you. And I want you to know that I do appreciate your listening. I look forward to your tuning in again next week. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And oh, by the way, Please share this with a few friends to help them too. I know I say that a lot. All right, let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks for remember. 
Just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 